Thank you for being here today. It is the week after Easter, after Resurrection Sunday. And uh, I do hope you have, you, brought, you have your Bibles as well. We have only a few verses today. And uh, my intention today um, is to talk about something different for, just for today. I know we, uh, I, was, I promised we we're going to talk about the dragon again, <laughs> which we did before, before uh, Resurrection Sunday. We're going to go back to that dragon next week. Uh, but, but something came up as I woke up this morning, and I was thinking about this most of the week. What would I share today? Because I felt something, God has, has a different message uh, in relation to the, the last week's uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday. We had a lot of people last Sunday. I was really blessed to see that, right? And, and, and what's interesting is most of the people, probably were 100 or more last Sunday, right? I know they were preparing food for... Uh, for uh, 50 people, and we all of it is gone. And I'm so, I, I really praise God for our uh, food uh, ministry, our fellowship ministry uh, at the Prezi, at the Loida, and the rest were involved. Uh, I think at the, at the Cecil as well was involved in that. And they were the ones who were stressed. <laughs> and I, I think they were looking through the window. Oh, oh no, there's only one box left, and there's still more people coming. So praise God for their concern to make you happy in your stomach last Sunday. It was really good fellowship. And I praise God that through our fellowship last week, I had opportunity to talk to some of our guests and, and, and in particular one person and share you know, the gospel and share also you know, what I believe about the Bible and God and, God and his, about Christianity. So, so I, I would like, that's the reason why we have this fellowship, because it gives me, gives you the opportunity to really connect with people and also share your faith, right? But, but last week, most, in fact, most, except only for one couple actually, pretty much everyone last Sunday were either already regular members of our church or they came to our church once, twice, three times in the past, except for one couple, and they don't, didn't even attend the service, <laughs> that one couple. But, but the rest... They're just, they were our regular members. So here's the thing. If everyone comes here every Sunday, then we will not fit in this place, actually, because we're very, we were very packed last Sunday. That was good. So today, I, I want to talk about this welcoming church. I, you know, I woke up this morning, and this was the very first word that came out of my mind. Imagine that, that statement, welcoming church. As I woke up this morning, bang, welcoming Welcoming church, and that, I think this is what God wants me to share today, because it's the first thing I was thinking about this throughout the week, but, but this morning, this was the very, this exact word came to my mind. I said, okay, Lord, uh, let me just push through with this. And I, I sense this is what God wants to talk, to, you know, wants to say to you today. You know, many of you have been Christians for a while. And you've been to many churches in the past, and, you know, the, the extreme of some of the churches you've been to in the past, you know, there, there are people in some churches where you go to those churches and their faces, they were like, they're like bath, as they say, bath in vinegar or lemon juice, and they're, they don't even smile, they're, they're, they're grumpy. You know, I don't know if you've been to that kind of church, I've been in the past, <laughs> And you say to you tell yourself, I don't want to go back to that church. People don't really, they don't even shake your hands, don't even smile at you. So that's the extreme. Not a lot of churches are like that. But there is an extreme like that where people don't really, are not really friendly. Um, there's also some, some experience I had in the past where I attend a Bible study. And, and people are so formal, so cordial. And as if, if, I, if I'm there, I need to pretend I'm someone else. <laughs> Because if they'll know who I am, they would not like me. <laughs> and, and for me, I, I, I went to that kind of Bible study for a while, but it was, a to, it was torture. Because I cannot tell a joke. I could not really speak what I would need to say because I don't, know, I don't want to offend them. And I hope we're not that kind of church, okay? That, that you are here today and you're really yourself. <laughs> okay? You're not pretending to be someone else. Maybe here you're like an angel, but at home you're a devil. So, so show your show your real self here, and we'll and we'll fix you. <laughs> show your real self here. I, I think it's better that way. We're honest with who you, who we are, and we we are authentic, right? It's better that way, right? Mahirap yung stress to to pretend who whom you who you you are not. It's stressful, stressful. 
Um, also, there are churches that are, they're not entirely unwelcoming. They're welcoming, by the way, most of these churches actually. But, but when you come to these churches, you're lost in the crowd. And you go in anonymous. I hope no one saw me. <laughs> then you could go out of the church also. I hope no one saw me. I'm coming out early. I'm going home early. And what's amazing about some of these churches where you can go in anonymously is that you, usually it's dark. <laughs> One of the churches I've joined, we've been part before, it's very interesting that the worship leader there really likes to make it really, really, really dark. As if when you go inside the church, you don't see anything. Like the sun, when you're outside, it's so sunny. Then when you get in, you're still, you have to stand at the door for a while to see what's going on. But even if you're there for a while, you cannot see, even if the person is here, you cannot see his face. It was so dark, and the only sh bright spot there is the stage. So that's, uh, and, and the thing about some of my experience uh, in that situation, you know, you, the church tries to encourage people to fellowship. Then you, you hang out with a person at the foyer or the drink coffee. And you start talking about the weather. You don't know really where to start, what to talk about. It's like talking to your boss at the break room. You know, you don't really know how to, how, how to start the conversation and end the conversation. I don't like that experience, you know. You're going to church and you don't really know, cannot relate with people there. It's not unwelcoming, but it seems that you are anonymous or it's hard to relate. It's really hard to relate. There are kind of church that may not be unwelcoming, and, but the members, when you go to the church, there's a tendency for members to gravitate on the same kind, their friends, their, their, their cliques, they're the people that they're very close to. And if you are there, you cannot, you cannot just get into the conversation or you're an outsider. And, they, and normally they would just assign you to a, to a welcoming committee. And they're the, the person who's in charge of welcoming, they're going to talk to you. But the thing is, it's not natural. It's, I feel it's force. It's like entering a business or something. You're going to, uh, to an office or something. I don't like the church to feel like an office. Hey, you talk to the receptionist. She'll, she's going to take care of you. And all these employees are chatting here on one side. So I, I don't want River Life to be like that also. The, you know, this is not God's design for the church. The, all these things I've shown you, this is not God's design for the church. We often think we're so exposed to this kind of church life. But this is not the biblical church. It's like 150 miles away from what the biblical church is. And the thing is we're so used to this in thinking that this is church. That's really sad. It's really sad. You know, we, we learn to adopt to that kind of church life. We learn to accept, oh, it's okay to go to church and not know everyone, and that is church. When Rel and I were dating, we go to a, you know, we, go, we used to go, she goes to a Catholic church, and I would go there as well, and the church is always packed. And so we would just sit at the entrance outside there and listen to the mass inside, then wait for it, it's over. Once it's over, you go home. And, and so that, that's most people, you know, most people's church experience. But there's another also unwelcoming church. That's not entirely directly related with people. You know, when you get into the, into the facility, the hallways feels, it's dark. It smells like mold and damp <laughs> and run down and the signs are already torn. You know, the paint, you got, you got some announcements. I think we're guilty of that as well. Sometimes the, the signs on the wall, they're like, 10 years old, you know, seen that? <laughs> you know, the church is really people, right? But, but if, you, if you're a church and you meet in that kind of building and you're not making it good, it just speaks of who the, what the values of the people there are, right? I, I believe if you're a church that meets in a certain place, the place should reflect you as well, right? The building should reflect who you are as a church. That's why we want to have this stage here. Looks better, right? <laughs> Hopefully it looks better. We're going to improve this. We have a plan to make this even better. <laughs> I pray that River Life will, be, will not be like any of this kind of church experience that we had before. Whether today 
or in the future, even when we have that building, I, I pray that we will not be like this church. We want to be a welcoming church. We want to be a welcoming church. Um, and in fact, we are all in agreement that God commanded us, the Lord commanded us, Hebrews, that we should not give up meeting with one another. Even as a church, we need to go, we, we need to meet even more often. We need to meet um, more frequently as Jesus returns, grows, draws near, as Jesus' second coming draws near. So if, if we as a church continue to meet, whether on Sunday or in a life group or in our whatever gatherings we have, I know in this church we have a lot of different kinds of meetings. We have ministry meetings like, you know, the men's, the women's, the youth. And in fact, I would still consider all the birthday parties as also church-related meetings. All the same people are there, Right? Except we invite some people as well. But, and also, we have, we have our random meetings, right? Some, I know some of the women before, they did uh, some kind of, I don't know, Zumba maybe? I don't know, was there, was there any Zumba or, or exercise somewhere on some gym? So, any kind of gathering, what should be the atmosphere of a gathering? What should be the experience of each of, of people in that gathering? What should, what should their experience be? You know, we'll, we'll have a, we have our camp upcoming July, July 16, 17, and 18 as well. So when we have people coming to those camps, guests and you yourselves, what would our experience be in that gathering? So let me take you back to Acts chapter 2, and let's just go to this passage. Then I'm going to give an application at the end. Two parts, two, two, just two passages on Acts. I have only, I think, six verses or five, five, six. Acts, let's start with Acts chapter 1, <coughs> and I want to show you, go back, I know you're familiar with this, but I would like us to go back to the very first church, the very, very first Christian gathering, and, and imagine their experience back then, just imagine their experience. So this is right after Jesus ascending to heaven, Jesus just probably a mo few moments earlier or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe ours, depending on how long they walk. Uh, Jesus just returned to heaven. And now all these disciples are returning to Jerusalem from the Mount of, called Olivet. And now Jesus is not with them for the first time in three years. Of course, during the death of Christ, he was not there as well. But this is after resurrection. Let's go back there first. Which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. Okay, so it was uh, a day-long walk from Mount Olives to Jerusalem. Then, and when they had entered, went to this upper room, they went up to the upper room, and there where they were staying, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, uh, Matthew, James, and son of Alphaeus, and, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. So, so Ju Judas Iscariot is already dead by this point in time. So there's only 11 disciples. And, um, and all this... With one accord, one accord, uh, the, the disciples, it's not, it's not the car, but uh, it means one heart, one heart, one mind. Uh, they're together at the same time, one passion and same desire. That's, that, that's the word accord there. It's the meaning of the word accord. They, they devoted themselves, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, mother of Jesus and his and his brothers, 15, last verse here. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was, all about, was in all about 120. So there were around 120 Christians at this point in time, followers of Jesus, after, after the ascension of Jesus. And it includes the disciples, the 11 disciples, Mary, Jesus' younger brothers. Jesus has four, four younger brothers. Jesus is the oldest. He's the kuya. And, 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 and other people, parents probably of some of the disciples and other people. So that's total 120. And when you read this passage, they were in this one room and they devoted themselves to prayer. So this was like a prayer meeting. They were together as a church. Probably the room was probably slightly bigger than this or as big as this room. And there were 120 of them. So imagine that they were so packed. They were so packed. And... and and they were praying, praying, spending pretty much most, if not all their time, praying. 
You know, there was no room to be conscious. There was no room to be awkward here. No one was a pretender here. Probably no time for clicks. No time for entertainment. They didn't have a worship band. Probably not even a pastor like me preaching at this point in time, although Peter did that. But, but at this beginning, they just focus on prayer. Praying for themselves. Praying for what God is about to do because they didn't really know what's next. They didn't know what they're, what they're going to do next. Jesus just left. And now they're on their own and no idea what they're going to do next. And so the only thing they can do is that, Lord, what are we going to do now? What's the next step, Lord? I think that's their constant prayer at this very moment because, you know, Jesus told them, Preach the gospel to all nations, I'll be with you, you know, all these instructions. But the thing is, they didn't fully understand this, right? The disciples didn't understand this at that point in time. And so, their prayer, just, just Lord, help us, help us understand what are we going to do, Lord God? And the Bible also tells us that they, they were not only in one accord, not only that they were united in this, it says there that they, vote, they, they devoted themselves to prayer. So there is this devotion to prayer you know this is where the word devotional time comes from and the word devotion simply means that they were consistent in spite of all the difficulty hindrances persecution lack of resources they were always consistent and faithful that's really the idea of devotion i am very consistent with christ i am faithful I'll do everything to do this in spite of all the challenges, in spite of all the hindrance and difficulty, I will do this. They were committed to prayer in spite of the difficulties. And that's the idea of the devotional time. That is why for me, I would say devotional time is more effective if you're going to do it every day, even though it's very short, but you do it every day without fail. Whereas some people, they would choose to do buffet on the weekend and, and starve, them, starve themselves during the week. They, they spend two hours with God, yay, but they, they don't really talk to God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I don't think that's healthy for your Christian, Christian life. I would rather spend only 30 minutes or even less or 15 or even 5 minutes if that's the only time you have. But do it every day consistently on the word, with the word of God, prayer every single day you know the buffet style and what happens to you if you do that in a physical world right your physical body uh, you're gonna hurt yourself so they devoted themselves to prayer um, and and also they devoted themselves to the word of God you know Peter here preach actually stood up among the brothers and he, he shared a message after this passage here so we don't have to go there so, so this was the life of the early church. And what, this, what kind of sense do you have here? When you think that this was the early church, they were all packed together, close to one another, and praying. There's really nothing of what we have here today, right? No, nothing like we see today. There's no entertainment. There's no, there's no like, you know, a welcoming committee. <laughs> there's not even a Sunday school at this point in time. They were just committed to pray to God and pray to one another. Of, of course, when the church grew in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, they did more things. So let me read this to you. They devoted themselves. Again, there's the word devotion, uh, commitment. They said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayers. And all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all believe, all who believe were together and had all things in common. They, see, they were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had any need. And day by day they attended the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they were eating in their homes as well. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. So you notice this early church, of course they devoted themselves to prayer, to the word of God, to the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper and sharing meals. That it, that those, it, it's the, you know, that's the meaning of that statement there. Breaking bread, sharing meal, or doing the Lord's Supper. And they fellowship, shared their resources, help out one another in need, 
or those in need among them. They worship the Lord. Of course, breaking of bread also reminds us of worship. And, and also, there was supernatural work of God. People are getting healed. People are, are, lives are being changed. There is constant interaction, conversation, praying for one another, praying for others, uh, sharing of food. They met in their homes. They met at the temple courts every single day. What, what this tells me, they were like a huge family reunion that, were, that they were gathering almost every day. I don't know any of you have been through, to a family reunion, right? Good, good. Some of you probably have a bad experience there. I praise God for me, all the family, family reunions we have, especially from my dad's side, because that's where we do most of our reunions, not, not usually on my mother's side. It was, it's one of the most wonderful experiences in my life. One of the very most, I would say, best experience in my life. I could stay there forever if I want to, <laughs> if I can. But I would say one of the best experiences is our family reunion on my dad's side. One thing amazing, why is it amazing? Because all of them are believers. All they are Christians. So we're all one in heart, one in mind. All the kids, you know, we're all one. Uh, uh, some are, are not as one, but... Yeah, but, but it was a great experience, especially for my parents being there and all our parents, they're all, there's no conflict, maybe except for one, but, but the thing is, it's a great experience. And this is like, that experience was like this. They were like a huge family, very close to one another. They met every day, cared for one another, helped one another. Do you get this kinds of, kind of experience in churches today, in our church or in churches today? Most, if you're going to be strict with this, no. Not as much or not at all. That, that, that entire church is your family. You're very close. They're, not, they're more than your friends. They're not just your friends. They're like your family. Really, your family. You care for one another the way you care for your mom, your mom, or your siblings. That's how close they were. And I hope this is the experience we have in River Life. We might not get to this level, but I pray that we'll be like this as a church. We like this as a church. You know, one of the reasons why we might not be able to do this exactly in our culture, because back then, they live in the same city, and the city was small. And they're probably neighbors, most of them. They're close to one another physically, right? They're, they're, <laughs> their houses were just, they can just knock the door of the neighbor. Hey, Peter, come. I go to John's house. And John, hey, come. <laughs> let's go. Let's have fellowship. Uh, and at this time, they were probably in Jerusalem, most of them, because Jesus was there early on, earlier. So they were probably renting houses there during the time or living with, living with family and friends. So it was easy for them to gather together. Every day and in the temple court. So, so imagine this temple court gathering. This is our Sunday gathering. Is it, is it hot? Do you feel hot? Maybe we should turn on the air conditioning or something. I don't know. If you're not hot, then feeling hot, then yeah. Maybe, yeah. So if you are, the temple court gathering is like our Sunday service. The house gathering that they have, I would say it's like our life group. It's closer to our life group. So, so we're doing some of these things as River Life. So, so here's the, the application for this. I, I want our church to be like this. You know, not perfectly, but we want to get there as a church. And I know we are getting there. We are, we are not perfect as a church, but we are getting there. But to be a welcoming church, there are a few things I want us to, to, to consider. Two, four, three things to consider that I'm going to give you today. The first one is to be a welcoming church. We need to make every effort to encourage one another. That's how we're going to be a welcoming church. If we make every effort to encourage one another. Let me give you this passage in, in um, Hebrews 10.25. I mentioned this earlier, but there's something else about this passage that's important in relation to our, our, our fellowship, our meeting one another as a church, our gatherings. It says here, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The day here talks about the second coming of Christ. And it says there that we as a church, you and me, all of us, 
we should not give up meeting together. And that is the reason why we make every effort to meet one another, right? We have our women's, our men's, our life groups, our care groups, our, our uh, youth, children's, and even our Sunday service. Because we are obeying this command on not to give up meeting together or not to neglect meeting one together. But the question is, when, when the church gathers, when we gather, what are we supposed to do? What is our priority? What's, what's the end game? What's the end game? What's the purpose, the goal? Of course, we need to worship the Lord. But the thing is, we can also worship the Lord when we are alone. When we, when we say, okay, uh, I, I'm going to pray. Yes, we're going to pray together. But you can also pray to God alone, right? So, so that's given. But what this author, the author of Hebrews is saying, that when you gather we are commanded to encourage one another. Encourage one another. And, and encouragement, sometimes when we do it on our own, alone, it's either hard or it's impossible. <laughs> it's very hard to encourage yourself sometimes. And that's where you need someone else. That's where you need someone else. You know, some Christians, and I hear this, among other Christians, even respected Christians, they downplay encouragement. They say, oh, encouragement in the Christian life is selfish. Uh, you know, some people, they always desire encouragement or seek encouragement, and it's a selfish kind of thing to do in the Christian life. You know, I, I disagree with that statement, and I believe it's terribly, terribly wrong. And here's the reason why I believe it's wrong to think that encouragement is selfish. Um, I believe it is the lack of encouragement, the lack of encouragement or the wrong kind of encouragement. It's the reason why believers are weak or believers are not as, as committed or as strong in their faith because they don't have either they don't have encouragement or they lack encouragement. It's probably the reason why you're not reaching the gospel or others with the gospel. It's probably the reason why you're struggling with the same sins, sin over and over again. It's probably the reason why you're not accomplishing things for God in your life. You're depressed. You're lonely. As a Christian, you, you're, you're not seeing, experiencing fulfillment and joy because you lack encouragement. You lack encouragement. Maybe there's a reason why you're, struggle, you're struggling in your walk with God because you lack encouragement. I think as a Christian, we need constant, daily encouragement. Maybe not just from other people, not just from other people, but from, from, from God himself. From God himself, from the Holy Spirit himself. You need, a con, you need constant daily encouragement. And I believe that encouragement is vital to your spiritual health vital to your strength, vital to your ministry as a Christian. Let me show you what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 1, 4. He says here, who comforts us in our affliction? You think about Paul himself. He was struggling in many ways. He was afflicted in many ways. Then, as a result of this affliction, or God, you know, using this affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in, in any affliction. So Paul was saying that because of his affliction, he's able to comfort someone else. And, and it seems that, not written here, we can say that Paul got some comfort from someone or from God himself because of his, through his, uh, you know, because of his affliction. Then he says that through his own affliction and the comfort he received, he is using this to comfort others. He said, with the comfort which we ourselves, listen to that, are comforted, meaning he received encouragement because of his affliction. You know, he was struggling. He has an affliction. And he says here that I have received some comfort because of my affliction. But through this, it is the comfort that he used to comfort those others who are in affliction as well. In that statement there. Able to comfort those who are in any affliction. What, what this, this passage tells us, I, I, hope, I hope I didn't confuse you with that. What this tells us is that, that 
we are to be able to, we are able to encourage others because we ourselves have received encouragement and it's going to be difficult for you to encourage others if you haven't received encouragement yourself because you can you can only give what you receive right that's very clear in scripture that whatever you can give what you give you can only give it when you if you have received it from God to begin with And we receive encouragement in many ways, of course. We receive encouragement through the Word of God, through God Himself directly, through the Holy Spirit, uh, through the preaching of the Word, like, like today, through the teaching that is in your life group, uh, through the experiences that God allows you to experience. In every case, in every case, in all these situations that I mentioned to you, you need to make an effort to draw near to God. You need to make an effort. God, I come to you. I seek encouragement. I come to your word, Lord, because I seek encouragement. I pray before you, Lord, because not only that you pray, you're praying, you're interceding for someone else, asking for God's guidance, but you're also seeking encouragement. Lord, I pray for your encouragement upon my life. Reveal yourself to me. Reveal your word to me. Uh, we come to church every Sunday. I know you expect encouragement from the sermon as well. When you go to your Bible study, your life group, you expect encouragement as well. When you go to the prayer meeting, you expect encouragement as well. It might not be directly from someone talking and sharing, but it could be in a more subtle way. Even a smile of a single person can bring encouragement. Or the tap of the, of the hand and say, hey, brother, good to see you today. That could bring encouragement, right? There's many ways that God brings encouragement. But the thing is, most of this, of course, requires effort. But there is a kind of encouragement that is like a gift. That when a brother or when someone in the church or someone else comes to you and he devotes his life to you. He devotes his time to you without you even asking. Without you even telling that person. He's going to approach you and say, hey brother, hey, do you want to spend time together? Encourage you with the word of God. Let's talk about God and his word together. Let's hang out maybe once a week. Over coffee, when well, that's a gift, that's a blessing. Sadly, not all of us have that kind of experience, and sadly, also Pastor Al cannot do that to all of you. <laughs> I have only to pick certain people in the church for each each time, or else I'll be I'll be dead soon. <laughs> but the point is, we need also that kind of encouragement, encouragement that's that's a gift. So when someone is gonna approach you and tell you, hey. Hey, uh, let's say, let's say, Leah, I want to spend time with you. I want to, maybe an older woman or some, uh, someone in the church who's willing to spend time with you. Or let's say, Julie, I want to spend time with you. Let's, let's talk. Let's spend time in the word of God. It is a blessing. It is a gift. Because it will have a good impact in your life. It's going to have an amazing impact. Let me give you a story about my own cousin. I know many of you probably heard me say about, uh, share this. Because especially in the life group. Uh, sorry, not in the life group, but in the prayer meeting. And you know, the first time I met my, so I'm, this is my cousin, and we've known each other since we were kids. And, and we never really had any constant communication for many, many years. Think about this, we were, to, we were you know, we were always together in high school because we enjoy biking, BMX bikes. Yeah, and we were always on the road, biking all over the city. That, that was our life. And he, in high school, then... Then he had an, a bike accident that, that caused epilepsy, that brought him epilepsy. So since 14 years old until now in his 40s, he, he struggled with epilepsy. He had seizures almost every, every week, sometimes more than one or two every week. Imagine life like that. You cannot work. You cannot do anything because you're, you're afraid that you're going to get a seizure anytime, even walking on the street. So he doesn't go out of the house most, most of the time, especially recently. And, and he's a believer. It was through him that I also started my Christian life. He was the one who helped me start my Christian life as well. So we were together when we started as Christians. And, and on the past two years, when I went home to Sambuanga, I, I had an opportunity to talk to him. And he was depressed, discouraged, no direction in his Christian life. And at certain points, he wanted to end his own life. Not once, many times. Wanted to end his own life. You cannot work. You cannot do it. feed your family. He has 
small kids will not depress you. But you cannot you can meet the needs of your family. It was very depressing for him. But what happened is in that chance meeting, he visited my house. We I shared the gospel with him. He understood. He already accepted Christ a long time ago. So this was the sort of just a renewal. Then what went? The, but I was to go back here already. I told him, why don't we just meet once a week online, via Facebook Messenger? And for a year, all I did was just spend time with him. Most of the time, we just talk about random things, about family, about stuff in the past. Then we have time to talk about, we use the, the New Life Discipleship from time to time. We also study the Book of Acts, Book of Ephesians. I think we did Romans as well over the last year since before COVID we started. And you know what's amazing? I didn't really do anything unique than any of you would be doing. You know what's amazing this past week, this past few months, even past few weeks especially, is change. His epilepsy went away. I, he was just saying he doesn't have any seizures anymore. That's one. Secondly, he is very much in cartridge. He gained some weight. And now his, my prayer is that he's going to start a church in that community. He's so encouraged that he wants to start a life group. But, but I know God has a greater vision for him to start a church in that community where he's in. And he's joyful. He's a very different person. He's sharing the gospel, leading Bible studies with his kids, which he's never done before. And now reaching out to the neighbors, it's like, it's like night and day. It's like night and day. And all I did was just spend time with him and talk about the word of God. Nothing different than any of you would be doing. You know, this week I, rem I was reminded by the Lord because I was asking the Lord, Lord, and Marvin actually shared a verse during the prayer meeting that impacted me, it was from Second Peter, right? But I, I, I'm not going to go to that verse. Uh, the point was that during the week I was struggling and, and I was asking the Lord, what am I missing, Lord God? Why am I struggling with my Christian life? And you know, what God revealed to me is that I'm doing something this big. God wants me to do something this big. But my spiritual diet was this. <laughs> I was not nourished enough to do what I'm doing. I read the Bible every day. I try my best to be faithful there. I read certain books. I read sermons. Study sermons. I mean, listen to sermons. I mean, write down sermons. I said, okay, I'm doing all these things. Although those sermons and personal study sometimes not consistent. But even though I was doing that, God is telling me that's not enough. The diet you're having Al right now, the diet you're having, spiritual diet, your nourishment, is not enough for the challenge that's ahead of you or the things that you're doing. You need to eat more. <laughs> you need to be nourished more. You need more encouragement from me. You need to hear more from me, Al, because the demands of what you're doing is much greater. And that's the reason I think some of you are still struggling with your sin because you're malnourished. And you only rely on Sunday service. You don't do personal. Who among you do, does personal Bible study? Did you know that every Christian, Marvin, yeah, every Christian must do personal Bible study. That you need to study your Bible. Have you ever done personal Bible study? Reading the Bible is not Bible study. Having your devotion is not Bible study. Those are different. Devotional is reading the Bible and figuring out what God is telling you and going and you, you're you have the desire to obey, figure out what God is telling you, then obey it. That's devotion. When you do Bible reading, you just pretty much read the Bible and know what's written there. Bible study is even deeper. You have to know, okay, what this passage is saying and look at other parts of the Bible. How does this verse relate to this other verse? What's the history? What's the culture? What's the context? No. All those things. And this is not for pastors only. And that is why we're not moving past the stages, this stage of our Christian life, because we're not, there are things that we're missing out. And we're just eating, you know, chicken nuggets every day. That's why I was, I was, I was, I was, I only ate chicken nuggets this morning, and that was my breakfast and lunch. I was telling Clay, Clay, I don't feel good. And when I entered there, I ate two donuts. And now I'm awake. I think I'm fueled for the rest of this afternoon.
And that's the problem with us. We only eat chicken nuggets <laughs> for a Christian life. And that's why we are struggling. We're not accomplishing much for God. And my time is up. Let me show you how we can be a welcoming church in relation to encouragement. Because the word encouragement means, it really means admonish, to console, to entreat, and entreat to, to, to uh, encourage someone, to tell someone to do something. To tell someone to do something. Hey, this is what you need to do. This is what the Bible says. Do this. To ask someone to do something. That is what encouragement is. To, because when you do that, it brings courage to the heart of a person. It brings courage. So as a church, this is something we can do in relation to encouraging one another. For us to become a welcoming church, we need to encourage one another. You know, after the service is the first thing you can do. After the service, look around in this church. Is there someone here you don't know very well? Get to know that person. You know, we had some people last Sunday that you never met before. Make an effort to connect with them, to get to know them. If you don't know what to say, maybe if, there's not, if you cannot talk, you don't know what to say, maybe you can just approach the person, hey, can I pray for you? Is there something, that I, I can, something in your life right now that I, that I can pray for you? And they might tell you their prayer request and pray there and then. You know, we're in church. That's, that should not be awkward. Put the hands, your hands on the shoulder and pray for that person. Okay? Ideally, men to men, women to women, because it's, it's better that way. Um, one thing you can do also, send encouraging messages to your brothers and sisters via text, via Facebook messengers. And here's the thing. I want you to begin changing this because I know many of you, you love to send verses, you love to send quotes, videos, and whatever to the face, to Facebook Messenger, through, through text. The truth is, man, most of the time, they're not very effective, even if it's a reputable preacher. Because some, pe some people don't have time to listen for the one-hour sermon or even a 30-minute sermon, or even a 15-minute sermon. No one, sometimes no one has the time for that. But you know what's more effective than sending a sermon of a pastor or sending verses of the Bible? Even sending verses of the Bible is also not as effective. Let me tell you that. Because I've seen that happen in the past. What's more effective is a personal message from you. You're the one writing that. You're the one texting the person. You're the one texting that mess, sending that message. That is the most effective. I will read that message. Now, if you listen, listen to a sermon, instead of sending the sermon, grab what's the most important thing, the greatest thing you got from that sermon, and write that down and say, this is what I learned from this sermon. I want you to know this. Um, let's say, well, I want you to know this. This is what I got from this sermon. And, and this is, I think, this really helped me. That is more effective because... Chances are the person will read that. If you have a verse, instead of just sending the verse, write down what, how that verse impacted you. I'm sharing this to you because this has impacted me like this and maybe this will help you as well. I think that is the most important thing, or the most effective thing when you begin to speak your own heart to a person. Not just forwarding some random message from someone else. If, if, if that works, Facebook right now, everyone in Facebook should be Christians by now. But it's not <laughs> getting even worse. Right? Speak from your heart. Speak from your heart. That is the most effective. And in our church, we need to have an attitude where we are always encouraging one another. Find ways to encourage one another. We may not be perfect, but let's try to do this more and more. You know, the reason why people leave church or people don't go to church, do you know what's the biggest reason? Well, I found out about this a long time ago in a pastor's conference, and pastors are happy. <laughs> because 97% of the time, the reason why people don't stay in church or they go to church and they leave, 97% of the time is not the sermon. You know that? It's not because of the sermon. It's not because of the praise and worship team. It's not because of the music. It's how people relate to them. Imagine 97%. I think I'm, I hope I remember it right. 97% of the reason why people either leave church or stay in church is because how, of how people relate to them. Are people 
they're friends, friendly, or are they friends or, or not? Are they people arrogant or humble? Imagine. Sermon, maliit lang palang retention effect ng sermon. And even the praise and worship team. It's really how we relate with people. If we are loving, caring, encouraging, winsome, attractive. Attractive, not in a, you know, not in a having lots of makeup, okay? Uh, attractive in a way that we are kind, gentle, like Christ, right? Compassion, compassionate. I think this is the biggest thing. And of course, if we have guests, which I will not anymore go to my second point, when we have guests, we also need to engage them, talk to them. You know, I pray that every time the service ends, try to resist yourself from talking to your friends, by the way, at the, at the first, you know, time, at the first moment the service ends. First thing is find someone you don't know very well and talk to that person. Get to know that person. Also, just, just say hello or something. If there's a guest, I want all of us to, 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 to introduce ourselves to that person if we have a new person in the church. Because we want people who come to into the door, we want them to feel that they are welcome, they're expected, that they're not like just, just someone randomly coming in. Oh, who invited you here? <laughs> you know, they feel that like, as if you're, they're not expected. <laughs> we pray that they feel like they're expected and we are all ready to accept them. That's why I was telling Carla and encourage the worship team, I pray that you stop practicing around 30 minutes before the service and the building is quiet or no, no, no noise anymore, no, no practicing here, at least 30 minutes before the service so that when people come in, we have the chance to really focus on welcoming people because that's who we are as a church, right? Our goal is to share the gospel, to win people to Christ and, and also sort of imagine all our effort is to be able to do that. If there's anything that will hinder that, let's, let's change that, right? Like, for instance, like earlier today, you know, instead of us gravitating around talking, why don't, why don't we use the, the 20 minutes before the service? We're all out there, all out here, just waiting for people to come in. And whether they're new or old members of the church, I think it's a good experience for them to say, hey, welcome. But if they don't see anyone, and especially right now we're locking the door, it's depressing. <laughs> they have to knock to get into the church. It's very depressing. If I were the one out there, and it's locked, I would not even continue. I would go home. <laughs> right? You get the point. We, may, we need to make our church as welcoming as possible to our guests. And that is why we're trying to make this look better. We'll fix that cables there. Because we want this to be attractive also. The place, attractive. We need to have nice. It's not because we need nice things. But, but it's, it's good to have presentable good things. Because, you know, it, we, might, we might not be concerned with these things. But if an unbeliever comes in, it's a totally different thing. They will notice all these things. Oh, there's a basura on the floor. There's a canin on the floor. Then they will say, ah, okay, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> for us, it's okay. But for those people who come in, we want them that there's nothing they can say against us, right? When they come in, they feel welcome, love, and they cannot point out, hey, the CR is... Uh, Restroom is, uh, I don't come back there. Or some, re some people don't go to church, don't come back because that restroom is not clean. <laughs> right? So, let us have that heart of being welcoming. Make every effort to encourage one another. This week, if you can text a brother or a sister, uh, I, I'm trying my best to do this as well. I pray all of us will try this. You know, I'm praying for you. Make sure you really pray for that person. Or, you know, share a passage that you've learned and explain why instead of just forward, forwarding anything. Let us be an encouragement to one another, whether during the week or here. So look around. Is there someone here you don't know very well? You haven't talked ever, even once. <laughs> Talk to that person. Okay? Think about this. Is there someone here you haven't talked ever? Clay, did I ever talk to you already? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clay and I, we always text during the week as well. And for some of you as well. So I like that. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I entrust unto you, Lord, everything we heard today, Lord God. Lord, entrust the hearts of everyone, Lord. 
that, Lord, we will be a loving church, that we will be a welcoming church of God, that people who are already here will feel loved, welcomed, accepted, Lord God. Encourage, oh God. And, Lord, I pray that when we gather as a church, not just through the sermon, not just through the worship team, not just through our prayers, but even our, our conversation after the service will be uplifting, Lord. We'll be encouraging, oh God. Conversations that builds up the faith, oh God. Builds up our Christian life, oh God. Lord, I pray that you, you protect our hearts from anything that tear, will tear us down, Lord. Whether it's gossip, Lord God, or backbiting, O oh God, or anything, O oh God, that's of the enemy, Lord, that is sinful, O oh God. Lord, protect us as church. And Lord, keep our minds and hearts away, aware of things that can tear down the lives of others. And keep our hearts and mind, O oh God, filled with your wisdom on what we need to say and do to build up the faith of my brother and my sister, Lord God. Lord, whatever we come to know from you, from your word, from our life group, from our Bible study, even from the sermon, Lord, Lord, we'll use all these things to build up the faith of our brothers and sisters, even from our, from our devotional times, oh God. Lord, we will use all these things. I, I appreciate and I praise God for those leaders who are leading the prayer meeting, uh, live groups, Bible studies, scare groups, and, and even the different ministries. Because, Lord, they are sharing what they know from you, what they experience from you, the words, the scriptures that they have heard from you, Lord. Such amazing, Lord God, experience that, they, Lord, when we hear this, it's like what Marvin did to me or even what, what we heard uh, throughout the week, oh God, from our different Bible studies and gatherings. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that those words are very encouraging, especially the words that has made an impact to us personally, Lord God. Lord, I, I pray that this week, oh God, uh, we'll make an, every effort to encourage one another. Maybe text someone, Lord, help, help us to do this. Help us to be courageous, that we will not be afraid, ashamed. And Lord, even every Sunday, oh God, we'll make an effort to connect with people, to connect with one another, to engage, oh God. And even, Lord, Lord, make our guests feel loved and welcome with everything we do, Lord. Help us to be this kind of church because, Lord, this is the only way we are able to win the loss to you, those who come here. And, Lord, I pray also that we will invite people, Lord, because, Lord, you said in your word that you are the one who seeks the sheep, the lost sheep of God, that you left the 99 just to seek the one lost sheep of God. Forgive us, Lord, that sometimes we wait for the sheep to come, Lord. But, Lord, in reality, Lord, the sheep doesn't know if he needs to come or not. It is our responsibility as a church to go to the sheep. We are the hands and feet of Christ. So we are the ones to go. We are not wait, Lord, for sheep to come and help us. We'll have the courage to invite people and also to make an effort to make them welcome, loved, and accepted. Thank you, Lord. May the grace of God be with you and the blessing of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, guide you in every step you take today and this week. And Lord, may the Lord Jesus encourage you, inspire you through his word as you spend time with him daily in your devotional time, moment by moment, and in your time with your fellow believers as well during this week. All glory be to you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.